Chapter 61 How difficult it was to remember the last time she had experienced the pleasure of feeling somebody's arms around her. As Cheryl propelled the wheelchair along the corridor towards the dining room and dinner, Stella strained to concentrate on being in the moment, on simply enjoying the ride on Theo's bony but comforting lamp. But her mind would not let her do so. It was off on its own, thinking hard. It was digging through her past experiences in pursuit of her last remembered embrace, the way a child goes through dirty laundry searching for a sock. She found her most recent memory of being hugged, of course, not so long ago either, a year or so. At that time, she had been embraced, and had embraced, her daughter Junie, who had come to Stella's house in tears to say goodbye. Junie had held Stella close while vowing to fly back from Toronto to see her as soon as the job would allow, which, so far as Stella knew, it had not. And her grandson, Derek, had given her an awkward, loose-armed, teenaged embrace that same afternoon. So, a year since Stella had had a hug. She might have felt sorry for herself had she not believed that there must be residents of Fairmount Manor who had been without affectionate contact for longer than that due to the lack of relatives and friends either in the area or among the living. Like Stella, or because they were tough to hug, like Sally, perhaps, or Mrs. Perdita Warren, how long since Theo had had a squeeze? Stella had never seen his niece. According to Iolanth, his wives were long deceased. Stealing a look at his features, she tightened the arm that she was resting about his shoulders and watched him smile. In this quiet, contented silence, the wheelchair rubbered through the empty corridor park. None of them, Cheryl, Theo, or Stella, was spoiling the moment with chatter. It occurred to her that Mrs. Perdita Warren, the warden, had a son, and thus was certain to get hugs from time to time. But that still left Sally, the former nodder. Still, who knew? Perhaps Sally had a great-grandchild that visited all the time, flung strong young arms about Sally's narrow shoulders, and hugged her until the cows came home. The idea that somebody wanting to hug the nodder was difficult to credit, but not impossible. Not completely impossible. The wheelchair was nearing the dining room. Stella imagined with pleasure the sensation their entry would cause. All eyes would turn, eyebrows would rise, murmurs would travel from resident to resident as they traveled through the tables toward her own 
where the Greek chorus would gaze in wonder as they arrived together in such an unheard-of manner. But at the thought of the nodder's jealous reaction, her merriment cooled. She must not be so unkind to the woman. She put her hand on Theo's, and the two of them touched the brake lever to stop the chair outside the dining room door. Thank you, Stella said, rising with Theo's help. I'd better follow you in, though, don't you think? I'd better walk in on my own. She had expected to see disappointment on Theo's face. She was mistaken. He only tilted his head and nodded slightly. But he did give her arm a light touch as Cheryl pushed the chair through the door. Stella let them pass through ahead of her. Then she gave them a moment to settle inside, although after that long haul of an afternoon in the upstairs lounge, her stomach was pleased to sense food ahead, even if there was cabbage involved. Cabbage, that healthiest of vegetables, which so many Fairmount residents found entirely indigestible. Just now, she would be a willing consumer of whatever Annie and Enid cared to uh, set before her. But as she prepared to push open the dining room door, she found herself faced with an unforeseen obstacle, a truly terrible thought. The matter of Theo's return from upstairs might seem to have been resolved, but it was not. With her own ears, she had heard Cheryl say that he was only lunching downstairs because he was Stella's guest. As she contemplated this unhappy truth, her appetite slipped from ten to zero. Turning away from the dining room, she made her way back along the corridor, past the upstairs elevator. She took the shortcut that led past the office towards Fern Corridor. All the while, she thanked her good lace-up shoes for the swiftness of the journey and Cassandra and the effects closet for the shoes. How she wished Cassandra were with her now. As she walked, she strained to hear the patter of bare feet coming up upon her. There was none. Wondering whether she'd ever hear it again, she arrived at room 74, Theo's room. The door to room 74 was ajar, and she pushed it fully open and entered. The room was in half-light, with the curtains pulled. She could still smell him, though, and no wonder his things were still there. Earlier today, they had been inside his cupboard and bureau. Now they lay on the bed in uneven piles, a striped hillock of cashmere cardigans, a fan of trouser legs, a spill of socks and underwear. She stood just inside the doorway, feeling cold from top to toe, but somehow unsurprised. There was heartbreak ahead, 
approaching like a juggernaut coming for Theo. It hurt to picture him as he was just now, his wheelchair pulled up to his old place in the dining room, to imagine, to know, that he believed he had made his return to the life with Stella, the Nodder, Thelma, and the Greek chorus downstairs. As Theo ate his supper, with what pleasure would he anticipate regaining his mobility as his leg healed? He would be looking forward to taking up again his brisk walks about the building. Perhaps he would even contemplate another secret nighttime foray into the streets around Fairmount Manor. But to Fairmount Manor's administration, Theo still belonged in the special care unit upstairs. His things had been taken out of his cupboard and bureau and placed on the bed because they were about to be packed up and moved upstairs to special care. After lunch, Cheryl would wheel him back to the elevator and press the call button. Then he would be taken to his new room upstairs, one of those with white sails at the window, resonant of quite another journey. Upstairs, there was no wandering, and he would sit at a window on his own. But Theo was not alone. Stella would stop this great wrong. She just had to figure out how she could help him. Yes, help him. She would save him and never let him know she had. Moving to the bed, she touched the top sweater on the pile. It was a mint green cashmere she had never seen. It was probably his niece's choice, not his. Possibly he had thought it was too bright and had stashed it at the back of the closet. Thus it had been taken out last and laid atop of the others. Stella, however, liked the soft color. It reminded her of a boy in high school who wore a mint green pullover tucked into his trousers. It was unlikely that Theo's niece would have chosen his trousers for him, and those said a lot about Theo. Between finger and thumb, she stroked the hem of the pair on the top of them. They were good goods, as Stella's mother had said. And whether selected independently or under the auspices of the niece, the trousers were a tribute to his taste. His socks and underwear lay in a tumble, but each pair was rolled into a neat sausage so that it took a second look to determine which was which. Stella studied the clothes and the plastic bag that appeared to contain his toiletries. Something about this bag struck her as off. He was a person who would certainly own a proper leather shaving case, uh, nicely finished with cord or leather piping, and a leather fringe pull on the zipper. But she supposed that things went missing in places like this when a move happened. Left behind, unmarked, misidentified. And maybe someday... The shaving case would 
turn up in the effects closet. The thought was so debilitating that it almost knocked her off her feet. Then she heard it. Outside in the corridor, distant but fast approaching with a clatter and squeak of trolley wheels. She knew she was hearing the unstoppable machineries of institution. They were here already. Before she had had a chance to plan any sort of strategy at all. Someone was coming to collect Theo's things and deliver them upstairs to his new room in the special care unit. The trolley stopped before the open door. Without thinking, Stella stepped into the doorway and placed a hand on each side of it to bar the way. She looked up into Ollie's face. He was tall and undoubtedly strong. He was kind, at least she had never found him to be unkind. But what was kindness in the face of orders from the office? Ollie's face showed his surprise. You here to help, Stella? I'm sorry I walked out on you in the activities hall, Ollie. No sorrier than I was, Stella, my rebella, Stella interrupted him. I've been so worried because Theo was wrongly moved upstairs to special care. As you know, he's healthier and happier downstairs where he can walk about freely. Will you please rip up his paperwork for the move upstairs like you did for me not long ago? Ollie could do it. She knew he could. But Ollie shook his head. I wish I could, but this one is different from yours. These orders came down hard and from high up, higher than Mrs. Warren. I think it's from the board. The director sent me to move Theo's things, move them ASAP. Tears pricked in Stella's eyes. Her throat tightened. Moving forward, she put the flap of her hand on his broad chest. I've got to stop you, Ollie, and I want you to tell me how. Chapter 62 Ollie loomed above her. Outside Fairmont, the sun still shone, but it seemed to Stella that shadows were gathering in the corridor about them. Stella, my Bella, I have to carry out the director's orders. She took a breath. But? There's no but to these orders. I know when Mrs. Warren is determined to see a thing through. She'll... Certainly check to see I've moved Theo's belongings upstairs to special care. Stella uh, worked hard to master her bucking horse impatience. But, 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 Ollie frowned. But, these orders don't say when. Stella felt her eyes grow wide. How much time can you give me? Ollie raised his eyebrows. One of the washing machines in the laundry is out of whack. Stella clasped her hands. Is it? No. 
But I defy anybody to prove it. I can give you an hour. Only an hour. Thank you, Ollie. That will have to do. Ollie nodded. But honestly, Stella, my compella, I don't see how, with the director so hot and heavy, to move Theo out of here. He walked off, leaving his trolley behind him. It was unfortunate indeed that, at the moment, Stella's intellect, having achieved its first goal, that of delaying Ollie from moving Theo's things out of room 74, now refused to do any work at all. Her mind appeared, in fact, to have driven away on vacation, leaving the rest of her standing in Hydrangea quarter, Corridor in a swirl of intellectual exhaust. It's too much, she told herself. I don't know what to do. Liar, she answered herself. I do know. I just don't know what it is that I know. She decided to try Dr. Terry's focusing trick. With both eyes open, she slowly traced the long, straight line along the ceiling above Theo's door. This simple action seemed to settle her brain down nicely, and she was sorry now for what she had said to the doctor when he had suggested it. She had murmured aloud, Take it slowly, Stella. Imagine that there was a student standing at the blackboard, stumped, and blinded by an impenetrable word problem. One of those problems with trains running parallel and then at crossed ve vectors with several engineers and a bag of mail hanging from a rope on a stick from the town water tower. You, as a teacher, do not need to know the answer in order to help this pale and wide-eyed student. In fact, as a teacher, it's better not even to know the question, lest you become tangled in its evil web of logical thought and embedded uh, parentheses. Theo's problem was even more difficult than the usual math problem, even with those trains chugging along parallel and then at angles, and that bag of mail swinging from a rope on a stick from the town water tower. Stella took a deep breath and then exhaled. First, imagine the answer in approximate terms, the broad outcome. She pictured Theo reinstated in room 74 with that pile of clothes put neatly back where they belonged in his own cupboard. Next, ask narrowing questions. She pictured the chalkboard, the green kind that you could wash all you liked, not the old black ones that were such terrible and hard on the eyes. The questions were written there in her own best sloping cursive. The Maclean method of handwriting, with its curling capitals and egg-shaped O's and A's. Question 1. 
who could make sure that Theo stayed downstairs in room 74? Answer. Mrs. Perdita Warren ran Fairmount Manor. The warden could go against the board in such matters, of course, but she would not want to. Question two. Then who can make the warden go against the board of directors, even though she doesn't want to, to keep Theo downstairs in room 74? Answer. Stella bit her lip. Answer, only Dr. Terry. If he agreed that it was a question of Theo's survival, could make Mrs. Warren change her mind. Stella gave that answer a large, neat tick mark. Question three. Who can make Dr. Terry insist that Theo stay downstairs? The corridor echoed with the question. The math student scratched her head. Stella stood baffled. And then, in her imagination, a great shining locomotive hurtled across the prairie towards the western town. As it passed the water tower, a hand reached out at the driver's window and snatched it down from its stick grabbing the bulging sack of mail. The train roared and rubbled on its way. The math student wiped the sweat from her upper lip and returned to her seat. Stella headed off towards the activities hall in search of Reliza. When searching for somebody in a building as rambling as Fairmount Manor with less than an hour to find her, it was helpful if the other person was looking for you, too. Stella heard Eliza's soft voice call her name from just outside Stella's room. As Stella approached the young care worker, she said, Mrs. Ryman, I have a phone message for you. A phone message? If so, it was her first here at Fairmount. Stella shook her head. The face of her former lodger flashed into her head, but she knew he couldn't have found her. Absolutely nobody from the outside knew she was here. She waved a dismissive hand. Somebody must be making cold calls from a list of elderly voters for Eliza. It could be an insurance salesman or somebody eager to bend my ear on real estate. Listen, I have something far more important. Unusually, Eliza interrupted. Eagerly, she said, but no, I really do think you should read it, Mrs. Ryman. Stella moved a step closer. Strange to think that Theo's life was in the hands of this girl in her worn white smock the most junior of care workers in Fairmount Manor. It was lucky that Eliza's hands were among the most caring that Stella had ever known, because you never knew with people. Some of them talked with their hearts, but voted with their calculating brains. Not Eliza, she hoped. 
because Stella had a question to ask, and if Eliza answered negatively, then Theo would move upstairs. She shivered. Eliza, do you agree with the decision to move Theo upstairs? Do you believe that's the best place for him? Eliza started. Is Theo to stay in the special care unit then? I didn't know that decision had been made. But do you agree with it? Blinking, Eliza balled her hands in her smock pockets. No! How stupid! Certainly not! Theo needs freedom to roam. He needs to be of use to people. And the community downstairs is richer for having that lovely man in it, helping, just being himself. Stella stopped listening. She felt relief flow coldly down her neck and across the skin between her collarbones. And then it was her turn to interrupt. Good. You are a clear-thinking and intelligent girl. Are you willing to stand up and say what you think? Eliza took her hands out of her pockets and held them out towards Stella. The piece of paper with the phone message on it still between one finger and thumb. The director won't care what I think. Who am I? A care worker. Mrs. Warren has two degrees on her wall. She won't listen to me. But Dr. Terry will, Stella said firmly, and Mrs. Warren will listen to him. But why should Dr. Terry listen to me? Eliza folded and unfolded the bit of paper. How well that white smock suited her, Stella thought. For two reasons. Stella held up two illustrative fingers. First, you are familiar with the case. Eliza frowned. Maybe, but I say it again. I'm just a care worker. What is the second reason? Stella held her with her gaze. You know perfectly well what the second reason is, Eliza. Above the white collar of her smock, Eliza's face bloomed pink. The girl practically blazed with color, and of course her blushes made her even prettier. Go, Stella said. Try. Convince Dr. Terry that you and I are right for Theo and for me, because if Theo moves upstairs, I'm going to have to move up there too. There followed a moment's pause. Stella was very conscious of Mrs. McAndrew's empty room across the hall from room 34. Perhaps Eliza was thinking about the dragon's death as well, but whether or not this was so, Eliza nodded. I shouldn't, but it is worth trying. If I know the sort of man Theo is, Eliza looked down at the note in her hand. She held it out to Stella and then stepped forward and folded Stella's fingers around it. You should read this. As Eliza walked away, Stella whispered, 
Thank you. She looked around for a rubbish bin. There was none to be found. And anyway, if she hoped that Reliza would keep her promise, should Stella not do the same? Although Stella remembered that she had not technically given her word. Reluctantly, she unfolded the note and began to read. At the top, the heading read, Message transcribed from answering system. Below was scribbled today's date, April 18, and a time, 11.15. Then on a line after from to in clear round letters. From Junie Ryman to Stella Ryman. No number left for a return call. The message was a brief one. It read, Mother, where are you? And what is this place, Fairmount Manor? 